Hello and welcome to RPG PodQuest, the show that's not only about RPGs, but is an RPG. I'm one of your hosts, my name is Jeremy, and with me this week we have Evan. Hello! And from the land down under, we have Nick. G'day. Evan, how often do you practice that hello in the mirror? Because uh, it's beautiful. Oh, well, I, I definitely, uh, at least once or twice a week. I can't believe I've not used from the land down under previously in one of our uh, intros. How many times in your life do you get to say that? Slack it. I could say it daily if I wanted to. <laughs> yes, this <laughs> is true. This is true. <laughs> Jeremy, how are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Uh, looking forward to a nice weekend. I'm looking forward to a miserable weekend, personally. Oh, that's unfortunate. No, that's that's not true. <laughs> well, well, I guess I, I should say... The weekend that I'm looking forward to has very much to do with what I've been playing recently, so make of that what you will. And what have you been playing recently? Uh, well, that's a great question, but I think we're actually going to flip things around. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the best segue we've ever had. <laughs> I know, and we can't even yeah. use it. <laughs> right. Uh, no, but we, we're, we're going to jump right into our quests right now, uh, and... Uh, that's just for the, the, the interest of, of time constraints, and who knows if I'll actually have any of what I'm babbling about uh, in the uh, podcast right now. But yeah, let's let's jump into our quests, I guess. Do we want to go by uh, the order here, or do we want to get people out of the way who need to be gotten out of the way? I've got plenty of time, so I'm, I'm like, I've still got an hour, so I'm not fussed. All right, yeah, I, th I think it'd be nice to have your commentary in here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Jeremy, why don't we why don't we get started with with your quest? Sure. Uh, so I rolled uh, an RPG character you resonated with, and this one was a little bit hard for me. I'm not the kind of person who like you know sims for characters or you know has these great grand emotional attachments to the characters in the rpgs i play um, like i appreciate a good story but that personal connection that you feel with them it's usually not there for me but <clears throat> i went through and i thought about the games i've played in recent years and i came back to a game that i've talked about on the podcast before and i'm looping back around on it on it again uh so i'm going to say squall from final fantasy 8 really yes so I have made it no secret that I do not like the story in that game. Uh, that largely has more to do with execution and uh, the storytelling itself uh, than the individual characters within the story. Um, some of the dialogue can be horrendous. Um, <clears throat> that's usually what's turned me off in the times I've tried to play it. Uh, but I did get through the whole story. I finished the game, rolled credits this last year. Um, and I did come to appreciate the story more, having seen it from start to finish all the way to its conclusion. And mainly the reason that I came to appreciate it more was because of what they did with Squall. Because um, at the beginning of the game, he is aloof, pessimistic, um, flees personal connections, and as an extreme introvert – dare I say a gifted extreme intro introvert like Squall is portrayed to be, I can understand – <laughs> the way that he feels early in the game. Um, but you see as he you know moves through the story, and I'll try not to spoil anything, even though it's, you know, however many decades old at this point. 
Um, you know, as he grows these personal connections over the course of the story, he comes to appreciate the, you know, the value of other people. Um, and that's a lesson I've had to learn in my life. Um, as someone who is very much an introvert and very much a go it alone kind of person. Um, but I've seen as I have matured and as I've grown and as I've built up my life experiences, I personally have seen how um, your connections with other people matter. So that is a character that I've resonated with. So do you have a hot dog loving Zell in your life? Uh, I don't, unfortunately. Uh. Or maybe fortunately. I was going to say you don't really strike me as the sort of person who would say whatever uh, a whole lot, but I guess that is uh, that's that's Squall's mo really early on in the narrative, right? But I thought that scene is taken out of context a lot in the memes. <laughs> of course, it, they're, they're poking fun at Squall, and he's just like, "Whatever, leave me alone." Hmm. The the memes are making fun of uh, of Squall. Well, I think or? the the the, no, the characters in game during that scene that's then cropped and used as the meme. It's, sometimes it's hard to to put ourselves in the shoes of of any sort of uh, protagonist in some sort of grand uh, epic, you know, world uh, or globe trotting sort of narrative. And so, you know, I I think especially as uh, as someone who appreciates narratives uh, as as you do, Jeremy, uh, but as a as a fellow enthusiast of the language. Uh, I I think boiling down uh, a character's sort of journey uh, and and narrative arc does bring us back to the core of of what makes good writing or what makes compelling writing and what makes uh, relatable characters and uh, for for you to to find yourself uh, resonating with Squall in particular and and learn and and feeling that you've learned that lesson um, that's that is great and I you know. This this quest always fascinates me uh, to to hear about you know multiple people's perspectives, uh, just because I I, I don't know I, I think that again we we have such a colorful uh, variety of of in in taste um, and it only makes sense that the the sorts of characters that we would connect with would would probably uh, vary. Um, I don't know, Nick. Do do you find yourself resonating with Squall all that much? Well, no, it's an interesting point you made, and I guess a bit like Jeremy, I never really resonate with characters at all. Like, you know, I think to um, you know some literary works. I'm looking on the bookshelf here, and I can see the uh, the series of Twilight uh, that my wife has. But you know, <laughs> just just re- reflecting on that, that I guess the whole thing when those books were coming out was that you know the the main character was fairly bland so that people could insert themselves into that archetypes. I've never really found myself to do that in any story, book, game, movie. I always see it as a sitting outside and observing, you know, this tale that's taken place. Um, so I know I think I, I definitely would struggle, Jeremy, with this one. Yeah, I definitely chose to interpret the quest as, you know, someone, a RPG character when it says you resonated with, like someone who very specifically felt like you related to and were connected with. Yeah. Um, like I can appreciate a great story. Inserted in there. Yeah. And, and understanding their plight. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think there's a variety of ways that you can approach this. And I, I find it so funny that you should uh, also say that Nick, because I think what we want uh, very much in a lot of RPGs is that, 
agency of choice, going back to something that we discussed uh, in the last episode, um, you know, in in order to make honest choices that feel justified from our perspective, but also it's important to acknowledge that this genre is called role playing uh, because you take on the role uh, of a character, and so sometimes you make the choices that you think feel logical for them, um, and I think that's that's a pretty fascinating uh dichotomy yeah it is and that's you know i i sort of with my quest later on i did think about um you know i guess the narrative component of of sort of the what's the term uh the the choices that you know the ethical choices in rpgs especially something like a mass effect um where i mean that really does come down to it do you play that how you think the character would be playing it that you're building in your head or do you play it how you want to play that world yeah you know there's really only two ways to do that and i myself always sort of go well here's what i think this character is like and this is the choice that they would make it's not necessarily the choice i would make or the choice that i want to make but i feel that this is in line with the story that's being written for for this character and i think it's easier and harder to do in specific kinds of rpgs you Mm. know uh your elder scrolls your a lot of your um you know, sort of isometric or turn-based with pause uh, RPGs tend to kind of let you play a character in more of a a, a natural way or an authentic way. But I, I definitely do think that uh, Jer- uh, Jeremy's means of approaching this uh, this quest makes a lot more sense with JRPGs, where the characters are very clearly defined. 100%, yep. Uh, yeah, there, there's plenty of, of room to still be explored uh, in in this uh, in this topic, and I, I would be curious to see uh, if we come back to it, what wild and crazy answers we do come up with. Uh, everybody would have to loop around pretty far to get back here. 20, 2023. <laughs> Hopefully that'll happen someday. Thank you uh, for for sharing that very much. I, I guess we can we can move on to uh, to another quest and. Uh, I'll go with mine, actually. So this is one that, uh, and I i will be honest, I was kind of agonizing over this quest uh, during this entire week, not because I found it hard to come up with an answer, uh, but because I went back into the editor's suite and I could just hear the disappointment in Nick's voice when I stole this from him. Um <laughs> And that did make me feel very bad, and it, four, it made me wonder... Four narrative quests in a row. It's starting to grate yes. on me. Yeah, um, and I said to myself, wow, do I really have what it takes to be a thief? But uh, then again, I don't really want to deal with the quest that uh, that I swapped uh, with, with Nick uh, for. So uh, my quest uh, was number 26, uh, which is an underrated JRPG that I've actually played. Uh, and so, you know, if if I were to not uh, have played the the RPG that I was uh, talking about, uh, I think I could go in a, a whole lot more directions uh, with this quest. But specifically, sticking to things that I've I've played, I had to go back to my library and really dwell upon uh, what I considered to be underrated, uh, because you know there there are sometimes is. A, a feeling or a sense that uh, a hidden gem uh, is is 
worth being called underrated, but if we consider it a hidden gem, that probably means that people uh, think of it rather fondly, right? So uh, I had to think of a JRPG that not a lot of people have played, not a lot of people have appreciated, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that I am an expert uh, in, in Japanese RPGs, but... This one, uh, in particular, I do feel fortunate to have played. Uh, And so my answer to this quest is going to be Poison Control, which actually is a game that I played just this past year. I reviewed it for uh, Switch RPG. So just curious, again, I'll toss it over to both of you guys. Have you heard about Poison Control? Have you, uh, do you have any thoughts uh, or opinions, uh, hot takes on this title? before I get I, into... I have it on my wish list, and I've actually read a fraction of your review or your preview you put out a while ago, Evan, because it was on my <laughs> to-do list. Um, I haven't got around to it yet, though, no. But it, if, certainly from an art style perspective, it looks really nice. It's nice and colourful. Definitely, yeah. And uh, Jeremy? Never heard of it in my life. Looking it <laughs> okay. up right now. All right. Well, uh, while you take a look at it, uh, I will... Just kind of wax nostalgic about my experience with this game. Uh, I I love it when I come across a game that I have no expectation for. Uh, And watching the trailers for this game initially, I was surprised, uh, appalled. Um, I didn't understand why one would consider this to be an RPG. Uh, It is, I guess, the best way that I would describe it. Uh, is a third-person dungeon crawler uh, RPG. And when when we think of the word dungeon crawling, specifically in relation to Japanese RPGs, uh, I, I tend to think of Mystery Dungeon uh, a whole lot, yeah. uh, which, you know, has that sort of grid-based uh, function and, and rooms and corridors and what have you. And that's that's how I would describe a lot of my experience with Poison Control. Uh, the weirdest thing about this game is that there aren't very many walls uh, in this game. So you really can see a whole lot of the play space uh, when you enter into a dungeon. And that's weird. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's weird and, and different, and it's a little bit off-putting uh, when you first take a look at it. But uh, as Nick did say, this game has a whole lot of style. It's... Uh, it, it is poisonous in its its aesthetic in that you've got these, uh, you know, very rich pinks um, being contrasted with yellows sometimes uh, and, and blacks. And uh, this is a strange version of hell, I guess you would say, where people uh, who have done bad things in their lives uh, sort of come to... Uh, to spend their time and 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 suffer uh, so to speak but when they're in this realm they don't really uh know that they're there (laughs) um or maybe sometimes they do know they're uh dead but they haven't sort of dealt with their trauma and so the fascinating thing about this game is you're kind of going through these uh the the way that i put it is if you think of uh, dante's inferno and your your seven layers of of hell uh each dungeon is its own personal sort of hell for each of the characters that you encounter and these characters uh range from 
just being uh, straight up pyromaniacs who accidentally light uh, other people on fire and end up killing them uh, to people who uh, try so hard to uh, to get very good at a sport that they neglect other people in their lives and and make them suffer. Uh, it's it's some weird stuff. It's very trippy. Um, and you're not necessarily resolving their trauma. You're not making them a better person, but you're kind of figuring out the narrative behind each of these characters as you sort of travel uh, through their, uh, I guess you could even call it a mind dungeon. Um, but you also have these third person uh, shooting controls uh, that really you need to kind of make sure that you've explored enough of a dungeon in order to find uh, alternate weapons uh, to equip. Your sort of base weapon is a pretty standard blaster, uh, and it, it doesn't do a whole lot, which is why you really do want to try to equip some other weapons that uh, kind of fit your play style a little bit more. Uh, but you are traveling through these dungeons. You're kind of cleaning up the toxicity uh, in these characters too, uh, which does actually kind of appear as these pools of poison in the dungeons. And so it's kind of got this weird like Super Mario Sunshine sort of vibe about it, where you have to uh, kind of draw a line around uh, the the goop in order to clean it. And sometimes you don't have to draw a line around it. You can just kind of run through it. Uh, but the only way that you can run through it is by switching forms. So your offensive form is is what you use for combat, and then you have this sort of vulnerable cleansing form. So that you, turn, is, you uh, turn into a squid, I'm assuming. Uh, <laughs> no, not a squid. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Rather, it's just a, uh, a cute uh, anime girl, uh, which makes a whole lot of sense, right? Um, it's absolutely weird. And, you know... I, I did play this on Switch, and I do think that the Switch version probably runs not as hot as I believe it also came out on PS4, um, which I think I would probably recommend people play uh, if if they really do want to experience this game. But uh, even having played it on Switch, I, I found myself enjoying this game very much, and it's really mostly because I, I went into it with a very open mind, and... Uh, I found everything to be pretty charming. I mean, there's some pretty wacky uh, shit, for lack of a better word, that you encounter uh, mm. in this game. Some pretty uh, weird and dark stuff. Uh, but the game is very much about the bond between the two main characters. Uh, there's you, who's sort of an amnesiac, right? Who is coming to grips with why you're in this place and how you might get out of hell. Uh, and then there is the uh, the creature that you've bonded with, who is, of course, the cute anime girl. Um, and it you, you kind of get to see their relationship blossom and see that character, uh, I, I don't want to say fall in love with you, but just get to know you a little bit better and, and appreciate what you're trying to do and 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 benefit from your bond. Uh, and there there are some twists and turns, uh, some genuinely uh, exciting and surprising and weird stuff. Um, but to go back to the Splatoon um, reference, uh, Nick, the every single dungeon is sort of prefaced by a radio broadcast from these uh, two individuals. And uh, <laughs> that might sound familiar to those of you who have played Splatoon. And I, I feel like it's, it's got to be intentional. 
Yeah. Uh, because it really the large <laughs> there somewhere. Yeah, it, it they're they're just two very stark personalities. One is uh, is uber peppy, and the other one is uh, is a, a little bit more laid back. It's it's very much a Callie and Mari sounds about yeah, right uh, sort of relationship. But yeah, it's a weird game. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I would love to see it expanded uh, in some way. I'd love to see it kind of move away from the strict sort of dungeon format because I would say once you kind of get a grip for what this game is going to throw at you in the first couple of hours, uh, you know exactly what the gameplay experience is going to be like for the rest of the uh, of of your playtime. Yeah. Um, but I will also say that the game doesn't tutorialize itself very well, so you kind of really do need to uh, learn the ropes uh, in in your own way. And I, I I tried to in sort of previewing this game and writing a review for it, I tried to make as good a tutorial for it as I possibly could. But yeah. I also think that part of the joy of this game is kind of discovering the weird stuff that does exist in it, and uh, and hopefully coming to appreciate it. Is it related? Is it just a completely standalone game? There's no other games in the universe or any? It's just... As far as I know, uh, this is the first Poison Control. And uh, and who knows if it was even successful enough in Japan to warrant a sequel. Yep. Um, you know, I will say it's got a lot of style. To me, this seems like something that would actually like work rather well um, in some sort of anime form. Yeah. Or format, um, just because of how the dungeons are re- are really very episodic uh, in nature, and we've seen uh, you know some games that started as JRPGs turn into uh, OVAs or or anime uh, specifically. Yeah, the one that I'm thinking of is the Caligula effect, uh, and I think if they could turn that into an anime, they could definitely do it with Poison Control, and it'd probably be uh, a rip roar and good time. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> I mean, if you guys have no experience with poison control, I guess this really means it's uh, it's me just standing on my soapbox and yeah, hopefully... I mean, it, it sort of sounds to me it's it's like one of those like the vein, like you said, of Caligula effect, sort of that you know tier two um, JRPG dungeony sort of you know I think there's yeah like there is a, a dime a dozen RPGs that sort of sit in that you know that that capacity. Um, and I think you've, I'm happy with the question because I was, yeah, thinking about you've got either underrated from a commercial standpoint or from a, you know, critically acclaimed standpoint, because you could look at something like what Pandora's tower or something on the, on the Wii. People love those games. Um, whereas, you know, yes, never sold a, a dime. Whereas something like this, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I remember it, it came out, it wasn't even a blip anywhere. It just sort <laughs> of came and passed. Um, which yeah. is interesting because it's very much like those, some of those, the 3ds rpgs and maybe it's just taken a while to get those to the switch you know just that sort of that that a a grade not not the triple a rpgs the jrpgs that just sort of get pumped out and you just oh here's a here's one with an odd story and it's a it's there it's done yeah you know i i was thinking um a lot about like stella glow which was a, a 3ds rpg uh, which unfortunately I haven't played, um, but that does really kind of fit right into this category. Yeah. And you know, the the funny thing too, you know, Nick, that you should say that this is a <laughs> dime a dozen, um, is that there there's so much that's unique about Poison yeah. Control. Um, you know, it's very much it's it's 
sort of jamming RPG uh, mechanics into a very unique sort of play style. Um, and when I think about a lot of these B-tier, um, what was that one uh, that that came out maybe a year before uh, Destiny Connect, was it? Uh TikTok travelers. Yeah, please tell me. I'm, I'm yeah, no, <laughs> no. These those. these names are ringing bells. <laughs> I haven't played them, but they are ringing bells. Uh, yeah, as a user of TikTok, that sends an entirely <laughs> different image in my brain. <laughs> yeah, but you know, again, that game has an extremely unique art style. Uh, I think has just such a weird aesthetic and and charm to it that these are the sorts of games that, like, I don't know. In, in a simpler time, you would go to your GameStop or your EB Games or what have you, and you'd see this on the shelf, probably discounted uh, somewhat, or maybe trade it in, and you'd yeah. pick it up and maybe get something out of it. And I think sometimes the the eShop or the, the digital nature uh, of these kinds of games uh, diminishes the ability for people to kind of find these and, and fall in love with them. But then I guess that really does keep them as, as underrated titles. And, and uh, ma- which... makes your life easier when you roll this number on the quest board. So. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, that's what I'm getting at really. Uh, <laughs> that makes, makes my job easier. So uh, yeah, that's, that's poison control. Uh, if anything that I said uh, interests you, I, I would recommend at least giving it a look. Um, yeah. I, I want to say that there might have been a demo for it too, which I think in some ways this game benefits <laughs> very much from a demo, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, so I guess we can move right forward. So Nick, you want to tell us about your quest? Certainly. So I originally did roll an underrated JRPG you've played, um, but got shafted and moved on to an RPG with unique narrative devices. Well, Nick, um, would it would it make you feel better to just go ahead and toss a, an underrated uh, JRPG that you've played into the mix? No, because I've got to save that for 2023 when I... Uh... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but what? so I, you know, racked my brain over the week and I've landed on a, a video game, an Australian-made video game that, Evan, I know you've played. I've read your review. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> it even has a, a board game. Um, based on it, and that is Hands of Fate 2. Oh, um, oh man. Described uh. as a roguelike deck-building action-adventure RPG. <laughs> um, for, for, for myself, though, personally, I, I chose this for its unique narrative device of essentially having the dual storytelling um, ongoing at the same time. So you've, uh, and I'll go into it in a bit more detail, but at the, the very simplest level, you've got sort of your in, you know, your gameplay narrative, you know, you're on a quest, you're doing these things, blah, blah, blah. Um, and as that's being presented, you're hearing this overarching narrative about why you're in the scenario to be hearing about these quests. Um, and for those that haven't seen it, and it sounds like there's some reactions here, um, it is a, a, a deck building game. It, it plays somewhat similar to Voice of Cards, in that you know you're you're moving your piece through a deck of cards that are face down, flipping them and playing out the encounters. However, you're not just given cards on a table. You've got an individual called the dealer who's sitting there. He's walking you through what's going on. He's you know helping you build your deck and he's talking you through. So as you're flipping these cards, you're receiving the narrative. You know um, you're just getting standard things about this quest. You know the northerners. There's fights in the inworld. 
and I'm doing a horrible job of explaining this and I've got my notes. <laughs> I, I might just jump to my notes and read that. That might be a bit better. So um, essentially, as this is going on, you're getting a better understanding of the world of cards um, and you know, you're, you're plumbing through these chapters where you're meeting new characters and unlocking new cards to build up your arsenal, your equipment, your, um, your, your weaponry, and you're hearing more about the warring factions, the various plots of the world that are being told through the cards, you know, the story of the cards. Um, but as the game's playing out, you're not really... I, I've not played um, Hands of Fate 1, by the way. So I had no understanding of the meta, but sort of as you're going through it, you know, the game's playing out, the dealer starts speaking to you more and more as you're going through the game. You know, you might flip a card and encounter with some thieves. He starts talking about how he hates thieves and he had this situation in the past that caused him an issue, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I've gone, you know, from there, I've sort of as, as hearing from the dealer, I've sort of done some digging online and gone, well, you know, what's going on in Hands of Fate 1? And essentially you, you get the understanding that there's this in the game in in the overarching meta world of this universe. There's this place called the seat of power, where whoever sits there gets to control um, the fate of the world. Um, and the dealer used to be the individual that sat in that seat um, at the end of game one, um, and then you were the protagonist who eventually overthrew him and beat him. Now, whoever sits in the seat like I said, gets to control the fate of the world. So what's going on in game two, as you start to unravel it, is he's training you up on how to play the game that is playing in the seat of power so that when you get to the end of it, you can look to overthrow the individual who is currently sitting in the seat of power. Now, that story is slow to unravel. You know, as you're going on, you're getting more of this story about the the warring factions, the northerners and the, the dwarfs and the orcs and having to meet the bard along the way and the adventure to find artifacts and, and whatnot. But he just starts to, to intertwine his thoughts and feedback more and more. And I think you start to unravel that what's going on through the cards, the story that's being told there is the story that's led up to the point that he's sitting where he is training you. And I just I found it fascinating to have that sort of two story arcs going on. One of them quite subtle, um, you know, with the dealer just making his little commentary. But the the further into the game you get, you just start to see these seemingly, uh, you know, unrelated stories converge. It almost seems at the start that the dealer is just telling you a story through this game of cards. Um, and I, I haven't finished it myself, but I, I've sort of played you know, five to 10 hours of this a, a long time ago. And I jumped back into it a bit this week just to try and refresh myself. But I, I, I found absolutely fascinating just that the convergence of the storylines seemingly unrelated um, and, and being told by different mediums, you know, just to, to meet up together. But yeah, it sounded like, I know Evan, you've played it. Jeremy, have you, you dabbled in <laughs> Hands of Fate? Uh, no, it's been so. I've had it like on my radar since Evan first yep. reviewed it for Switch <laughs> RPG because like he did a good job selling the game, um, <clears throat> and like hearing you know a little bit more spoilery <laughs> description of the storyline really makes me that do want to pick it up. So the question I have as a person who has not played this game before is how so anytime you have a game where there's like random card flips yep. and dice rolls involved um, in the gameplay. You expect maybe this also occurs in the story as well. There may be some branching paths. How how branching is the story um, overall? Both you know, kind of the story that he's telling you, and then do you have some any kind of multiple endings for um, kind of the back burner story of him training you up? 
Yeah, so I, I definitely know that there, there are uh, multiple endings at the, the far end of the meta story. Um, on the, you know, the card story, we'll call it, effectively the story is playing out based on okay. the cards that you're putting down and encountering. Um, so th- there can be narrative elements there that you completely miss because it might be, say, you've, you've placed a card down, which is a town encounter. And whilst you do that town encounter, it'll have a little token on the card. And if you successfully do the town encounter, you'll earn a token. At the end of that sort of little quest, that token can be exchanged for more cards, which you might then get further narrative elements um, that occur there. But if you didn't complete that town quest in the particular way that they're wanting you to, because there's you know multiple ways to complete a town quest, you might not unlock the further cards, the further story beats of that little um, little component. So there's yeah. certainly you you can miss out on a hell of a lot of the story. And Evan, yeah, please weigh in. Uh, yeah, there, there's a whole lot of this story that you can uh, miss out on. And uh, gosh, you know, this is not a game that I was thinking of uh, for this quest. And so I'm so glad that you brought it up. I mean, obviously... Uh, you're talking to someone who might be uh, maybe the biggest fan of this game uh, in existence. Well, absolutely... that is exciting to hear. <laughs> I might be maybe the the biggest fan of uh, of Hand of Fate too. Um, I love this game for all the things that it does, and I also love it for how uh, balls to the walls cheap and hard it can be Mm. um because this game can kick your teeth in uh and will um and if you don't really grasp the the systems that are being implemented here which again you know you you go through these sort of vignette um narratives and they're they're almost like a scenario uh, you could you could call each one of them uh, almost a board game in itself, uh, and you add in some extra cards here and there. You might be able to add in some equipment. Uh, you can add in, of course, a partner to to go with you on your journey. And based on whether or not you have that partner, based on whether or not you uh, bring their their sort of partner narrative card into mm. this scenario with you, you. Uh, may or may not see their entire narrative play out. Um, but this isn't like a one and done uh, sort of thing. You can return to these vignette uh, stories at any time. Uh, and in fact, you might want to because there are some cards that you can't get for yourself until much later in the game. Uh, and I've already, um, I've found myself doing that. You know, you go back to vignette one, two or three, take the new companions in with you and go, well, hang on. I know there was these things. I didn't have this mechanic in my game, in my deck before. Now I can go back. I can sort of see that a bit more. Exactly. And it's it's exciting um, and it's fun to to come back to it. But I can also understand how someone who's maybe used to a more traditional structure in an RPG, maybe bouncing off of that a little yeah. bit. And like, I, I, I'm not one to really like roguelites. And I, I guess I'm finding it fascinating because it's a bit like Hades in that the roguelike mechanic of the game is built into the story of the game. It which is was what yeah. I love most about Hades. <laughs> and I really don't like any roguelikes was that the purpose of redoing things is part of the narrative. You know, there's a re- it's not just, oh, now you've got to do it again. It's, ah, yes, you're doing it again because that is how you should be doing this world or interacting <laughs> with the world. 
Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. And then also, you know, in addition to this, there is just a pure roguelike mode to yes. this game, too, um, which is also just as fun. But that's is that also... the endless mode, I think, is it? it I, yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I haven't touched that myself yet, but I, I, I sort of opened the option and went, uh, let's crack on with the story. Yeah, it can be a little daunting, but some of the equipment that you can get in that mode uh, can be hugely beneficial for the base campaign. Of course, I didn't even think that because the whole, I guess, card game is being played out in the meta world that anything you're earning in those different areas would still be usable. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's cool. Um, And But again, to go back to this narrative... um, you know, there are all of these little branches that you can go off into and mm. a single card uh, has a has really a, a success or failure uh, rate. And sometimes you need to do like very, very specific things in order to get the perfect success for that card, um, which will then sort of uh, cause that series of events yep. to branch off further. And I've found myself a couple of times just taking very simply, there was an encounter where a couple of goblins were like, Hey, can you help us round up these dwarves? And I'm like, sure. I'll be a jerk. Let's round up the dwarves. And, you know, did it successfully pass that whole quest, complete negative outcome for me, you know, lost a bunch <laughs> of things. And I'm like, next time that came up, I, I made sure to stack that into my deck. The next time I played a quest, so that I could go straight back into that one and go, all right, well, I know this this branching path is not the right way. Let's have a look down the other avenue of helping the dwarves out, for instance. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and, and that's that's neat. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say, uh, just to answer your question specifically, Jeremy, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of... of there are choices that you get to make, uh, but you you don't have a lot of freedom of choice. Mm. Uh, I, I should say there are options, but uh, ultimately there's one success state that, that causes these narrative threads to continue. But I, I will also say it's your choice to include these cards in your deck. If you don't want to deal with that story, uh, or yeah. if you're just getting too frustrated well, well, with that's it. The, yeah, not taking out the meta story. If you go to the gameplay story, there's, there's dozens of choices, you know, and whether they, you know, it's more, the outcome you get is finding more story um, as opposed to, you know, how the game ends or anything like that. It's just un- uncovering more adventure and, and scenarios and equipment and anything really. Yeah. And uh, I will also say this is a game that I've bought all the DLC for uh, just because the DLC adds more uh, partner cards yep. or party member cards uh, to the game, which allows you to go off onto these uh new wild and crazier quests which which are a lot of fun um and that's it's a part of this game that i i find so uh fascinating are all these little um the the actual meta narrative and then the the tinier narratives that that sort of build up towards this well and that's uh, interesting yeah. like as i was playing i started you know i was really reading sort of the, the card narratives and going okay because i you know i had no insight into the overall arching meta narrative so i'm reading these and then all of a sudden the dealer starts speaking you know while i'm in the middle of reading a sentence and i'm like hang on mate what the fuck <laughs> uh, and, and and then as time's gone on i'm barely even reading the card narratives at this point you know, there's a couple of I'm invested in, like I said, the, the the dwarf and goblin scenario. You know, there's a couple of little story beats in the cards that I'm finding fascinating and I'm following those as they come up and, and plot along. But I'm slowly transitioning to really not caring about the card narrative, um, which is which is quite good. 
Because sometimes it really does boil down to just what your objective uh, yeah. for that uh, that narrative might be, right? So you start to care a little bit less about, oh, this is uh, this is the this is the narrative thrust behind it. It's more, okay, this is what I actually have to do, um, and and you're coming back to that uh, that card, and sometimes you fail, <laughs> even even though you know what you uh, uh, what what you need to do. So it's 100%. a it's a it's such a weird game. <laughs> yeah. And as an aside, it has a board game. Yeah, I know, and I've been really curious to get into that. The most convoluted setup for a board game I've ever seen in my life. Oh, and I'm, really? I, I'm like, I, I've set this board game up two or three times now. I've not played it. I've currently got it on the dining room table because the wife has promised Man. she'll play a game with me on Sunday. But just, just you know, as, you know and I've, I've played quite a lot of board games. You know, I used to have. Uh, board game meetup sort of once a fortnight would play quite a lot but from a setup perspective not to harp on this too much but it's just poorly laid out so it, it is really? if, if you go down that road evan i definitely say make sure you take a day out to understand the decks as they're going on in the game and i think having played the video game might help a lot more um but it's just it, it doesn't you know a normal board game traditionally you've got say 10 different decks of cards all performing different functions and different beats there's no physical difference in the cards in a lot of the cases um, other than, you know, some small text written here or there. So you've actually got to shuffle through a deck of 600-odd cards. To oh, it, it's Yeah, it's... it. I think I've spent two hours of my life setting that game up <laughs> and I've not played it once. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that, I, I do want to give it a go. Rough. And think now that I've freshly played the game again, I think some of the, the mechanics and things will be in my head so it should make things a bit easier. Well, I hope so. And, uh, you know, the, the last thing that, that I'll say about this for anyone who is maybe just kind of lost uh, <laughs> in this discussion, because there's a lot of talk of cards, uh, but by no means is this a, uh, a card-based game, <laughs> I guess I should say. And, and that's, that's a weird thing to say after just having talked about cards for a good uh, 10, 12 minutes. A lot of the combat that goes on in this game is action based. You, it's uh, you know, I, I guess I would equate it uh, most closely to the Arkham series of games, uh, in, in terms of how combat is designed. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the the actual skirmishes that unfold are, uh, you are in full control of a character. There's even a couple of dungeon sequences that you can go through where you kind of have to avoid traps. Um, and then there is also uh, there, there is the deck sort of meta uh, element to this. There are dice uh, checks. There are card games. There's a weird little pendulum game that you yes, have to play sometimes. I, I had to do a f <laughs> fishing mini game um, the other day to, using the pendulum. Yeah, but it's and it's quite nice. And the way those things are told is you're sitting at the table with the dealer, and he's got these various artifacts on his desk, and he you know presents them to you and says, okay, yes, you need to do this fishing mini game here's the pendulum you need to hit your button and you know it's it's quite nice it's not just bam here's a prompt on screen you now need to interact with it's, yeah it's, it's weird nice. <laughs> yeah um and you know the last thing that i will say about this game and i think it's pretty unfortunate actually is this developer and uh closed their doors yes. uh, i want to say a year maybe a year and a half ago and I think that's a shame because the the game that they were working on was sort of an expansion um, on this idea, which kind of allowed you to go through a more grandiose uh, sort of uh, RPG narrative 
but instead uh each world that you visited was kind of a card that was that was shuffled into a larger uh sort of deck and i found that to be really compelling um and really fascinating and i hope that uh even if these uh if this development studio you know closed its doors i hope that someone is planning on doing something with that concept because obviously i love this game and I'd love to see how they could expand on this uh, this structure in some way. Oh, 100%. Bringing that up again. Thank you for giving me the chance. I'll say, to... when was the last time you got to sit around and talk about Hands of Fate 2, Evan? Uh, well, probably the last time I had to write uh, an article about the best RPGs on the Switch. <laughs> uh, and we we do that kind of on a yearly basis, so... Uh, it's it's probably been a while, but I do appreciate the opportunity to to have that conversation again. Uh, thank you. Uh, and I think we should <laughs> transition into our uh, dice rolls. Uh, why don't we just go in the order that we uh, went through uh, in terms of quests? Uh, Jeremy, do you want to roll for us first? Three. Better than okay. a one. Let's see. Oh, just shy of the enemy encounter. Oh, darn it. So this that is, no... <laughs> oh gosh, uh, an RPG series that you could just never get into. Uh, did, didn't did I have this not too not too long ago? I think you did. Might have. Yeah, right. It's all a blur. That was last year. Doesn't count now. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. I'm looking forward to what you specifically have to say about this. Uh, you no, know, I gotta give this one some thought. Uh, okay, I was gonna say, maybe you could answer this right now, or maybe you do need to give it some thought, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll roll next. Uh, right now I am at 29, so uh, that's that's fun. Let's see what I get. I rolled a four, uh, and I don't have to stop. But it's uh, such a at, fun enemy encounter. At 30. Uh, yeah, but I, I might want to, just because our, uh, our 40 enemy encounter, I don't really <laughs> want to get into. Well, you don't want to play a Chemco game. Uh, <laughs> no 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 i don't oh man even though i, I... boss battle man you're playing Kemco. it's gonna happen oh god uh i hope i hope not um <laughs> so yeah i'm gonna stop at i'm gonna stop at 30 uh which means i only really move forward once uh and i'm gonna play an rpg that was first released right so we obviously uh, live in a world where ports happen, but I'm going to play an RPG that was first released before the year 1990, which means I am going to be delving back into the the very retro uh, space. The, the first Zelda game. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> Nick, why don't you roll for us next? If I roll a three, I may just shoot myself. Oh, thank Christ. I've rolled a two. An RPG that you think does not qualify as an RPG. So in this scenario, I would say something along the lines of uh, Zelda, right? Even though people would would argue. Uh, with so me. what you've just said that is that Zelda is an RPG. I, I've not. I don't think I. I would say in this scenario, uh, yes, hypothetically. But, but the hypothetical is that an RPG you think does not qualify. 
Thus, well, by if, saying if, Zelda, <laughs> you're conceding. In fact, if, walked into our. I have now activated my trap card, Evan. <laughs> if we're talking about a jury of our peers, then yes, it would be considered an RPG, even though I think it does not qualify. Ah, let's pretend I didn't even come up with that. I'm gonna edit this whole thing out. Uh, <laughs> um, All right, jobs. Jobs. Uh, I'm. I'm not. Well, I, I guess I haven't completed my enemy encounter yet, so I can't use my ability. Oh, that's true. Nick, are you going to? Are you going to further complicate things? I am going to have Evan play an RPG released before the 1990s that he thinks does not qualify as an RPG. Jeez, you're gonna. You're going to make me jump through hoops here, aren't you? Yes. I mean, do you have Someone to do the same to, thing, though? Do I have to do the same you thing? You have to do the same thing. I think that only oh, makes no. sense. Oh, dear. Let me, let me go and read this job board. I'm going to make sure here, fellas. <laughs> At, uh, I mean, wait, what? <laughs> didn't you create this job? Uh, that was, no, that, no, this no, one's no, my I... fault. Oh. <laughs> I see. Choose I've... a co-host and combine their quest with your own while remaining at your respective post-roll numbers. Yeah, okay. It looks like we both have to do it. Oh, that's just well, a stupid. Why did I pick this job? Because uh, it's I really amazing. I've read this properly. It is quite fun, isn't it? <laughs> you, you, you've been looking forward to this. So. I have. You know what? Let's do it. Let's both do it. <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to be a rip roaring good time. Because I, I'm at a point where I need something new to play, so this is perfect timing. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that myself, but. Uh... I'll, I'll take the opportunity to delve into something <laughs> different. I might be making some logical leaps in this next episode. You might you might disagree strongly with what I consider to be an RPG or not. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's going to be wild. I guess we'll touch upon uh, our news and new games. Uh, so I think there's a topic that we all kind of want to talk about that was pretty major uh this week majora's mask on the nintendo switch uh i was actually gonna say banjo kazooie truly (laughs) an rpg for the ages uh well i mean we can talk about that do we need to talk about Uh, that i mean that's that's it that's the news yeah nothing else Uh, happened this week nothing of note no 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 acquisitions of any note (laughs) wait did you just say acquisition Yes. Oh, this this reminds me. I think some um, there was some like tiny merger that happened between these two relatively obscure uh, companies. This little like tech that. company bought a game studio. It's I mean, it's fine. Do we really need to talk about this? The, the, it's just the Embracer Group getting another company. That's fine. Yeah. No. So uh, Activision Blizzard is now owned by Microsoft. Uh, this is, well, I mean, the fact that people are still talking about this, what is it, two, three days after this was announced? I think it's the, the largest tech acquisition of all time. So it is. It'll, it'll be talked about for a while, outside of our circles as well. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that it'll be talked about by, like, market analysts and whatnot mm. in, in a legitimate sense. Uh, I was more talking about how uh, fans and quote-unquote gamers are complaining about it on uh, social media. 
which really does show you that this is a big deal. Uh, the fact that people can talk about it for more than 24 hours straight. Um, so specifically in the realm of RPGs, we have two kind of major franchises now owned by uh, Microsoft, and those are uh, Warcraft, right? World of Warcraft, the biggest? Is it the biggest? No, not anymore. Isn't, isn't 14? Final Fantasy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Dw- World of Warcraft is... at the moment, too. Really? Yeah. Uh, so, wow, seen better days, but, you know, very much a, uh, a, a tent pole, tent post. What do we call, what do we call those? Uh, in the, the, the MMO uh, sort of category... I think, it'll, uh, and it'll be interesting to see where they go with the subscriptions. You know, does it just lump into Game Pass? Does it? I think oh that, God, that yeah. that's probably the biggest question. You know, does everyone with Game Pass now have access to World of Warcraft? That's a terrifying reality, <laughs> um, or a terrifying question to even ask. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. And what's the other? Uh, uh, what's the D- other D- Diablo would be the other one. Oh yeah, which yeah, for me not a big deal because it is a PC game that I play on PC. Yes, it's on consoles now, but historically it's always been on PC. So this isn't going to impact it too much from that perspective. Direction-wise, I mean, we won't know for another ten years. I imagine Diablo Four is way too far into development for them to have any input right now. Yeah, this is true. Uh, and we shouldn't really discount the fact that there's probably a lot that's already in the works that yeah. it's not going to change um, with this with this uh, acquisition. I believe they said they're probably not going to finalize this until maybe 2023. Yeah, so, so there'll be contract negotiations and so much going on for months and months and months. We won't, yeah. So, you know, I'm... I'm uh, I mean, gentlemen, thoughts on this in any way, shape, or form? I mean, I feel like we're fairly just... we're fairly insulated from this as you know, RPG fans on the Nintendo Switch. This doesn't really affect our niche all that much. <laughs> but like, if this were the PlayStation RPG podcast, this would be like devastating news. Yeah, I, and I think for me, the most interesting thing. Oh, I'm totally talking to the Switch RPG staff. Sorry. You, you've effectively got Activision, which is now just a Call of Duty studio with, what, 15 supporting development studios that all just support Call of Duty. It will be fascinating to see some of that talent opened back up, um, you know, to whatever it might be, you know, Neversoft or whatever, working on a Tony Hawk or, or anything like that. You know, these, you've got all these teams, historical teams just sort of sitting around. Um, there's probably some RPGs sitting in there that have just been forgotten about. Um, if people are given the chance to sort of dabble back to where they want to, could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I could see that I could see maybe some of uh, the staff being uh, assigned to new products in the future. I mean, if anything, I I think obviously getting this IP is huge, and you know we're all we're all going to be curious to see how. This IP appears uh, in the future, you know, what it uh, ends up, what what form it ends up taking on Game Pass, certainly. But, um, you know, if, if anything, this acquisition makes me think that we are going to see some new products, <laughs> some new IP, uh, which to me is exciting. I mean, uh, uh, 
a lot of what uh, Activision Blizzard has been doing recently has not been going all that well. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, and I shouldn't say this about um, about Diablo because four does seem to be a return to form in some ways, but I think that's only aesthetic. We haven't really seen enough about the you know actual gameplay functions and, yeah. and what have you uh to to make any sort of you know definitive uh, statement about that but uh you know overwatch is kind of kind of went from being a, a big deal to uh it's having a very nebulous future and i i wonder well i i think that's probably going to con- continue i mean we're definitely going to see overwatch too but uh i, I wonder what this means as a sort of pivot point um, for Blizzard moving forward beyond that. Will they try to experiment with something new? Uh, will they take those characters in a new direction? Mm. I mean, just to, to to kind of put this into perspective, right? We saw uh, last year a League of Legends RPG, right? Um, is, uh, you know... Overwatch uh, going to see something similar in nature? Are we are we going to see more spinoffs of these characters? Uh, is that something that is possible or probable in this universe? I mean, I, I don't really even know much of the lore of Overwatch, so I can't really uh, say either way. But I would just hope to see some new stuff uh, from from Blizzard and Activision uh, as as they become, I, I would think, a, a core part of. Uh, the Microsoft uh, sort of ecosystem. Mm. I, I very quickly just scrolled through a list of every single game franchise owned by Activision and Blizzard. The only other RPG I could spot in there, I don't know if either of you have ever played Lost Kingdoms on the GameCube. By no, Fr- I have not. By From Software, so it was essentially a card-based uh, RPG. I, I got nothing, but... The fact that it's got cards in it makes me kind of curious. And made by From Software, who went on to make Demon Souls. Yeah, I've heard that's like kind of a big deal, I guess. Yeah, it's one of those games. But yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I I'm curious. And yeah, it'll be interesting that's... to see where it goes. <laughs> that's just about it. Yeah, I think I think in the short term, it's not going to be much other than Game Pass releases, but long-term, I can't see Microsoft not taking advantage of turning a lot of these franchises into Especially exclusives. any of the smaller mm-hmm. ones. Call of Duty, I can see maybe staying where it is uh, for the time being. You, you, know, you think something like Minecraft with just how big it is, and it's just easier to just have that everywhere and rake in the money. But yeah, yeah, once, but, uh, when, once you get to a game that's you know valid. put out a couple of hundred thousand copies or whatever, it may as well sit on their ecosystem and, and entice people. Yeah, but I also, you know, I, I look at what Microsoft is trying to do, right? Which is make a lot of their games accessible on PC and also have a dedicated console to, you know, to run them. Um, and I mean, with, with this acquisition, I see something that, listen, I'm not going to say that Microsoft is nearing uh any sort of of legitimate rivalry with any other PC games uh, platform, something along the lines of uh, of Steam or what have you. But if they can, you know, secure this sort of exclusivity in the way that uh, 
the Epic Games Store has previously had like very limited sorts of exclusivity for for their games. Um, I could see them really uh, claiming a stake in the the PC sort of gaming ecosystem and kind of uh, creating some sort of platform that that people regularly visit because some of their favorite games are on there. Yeah, I, I mean, I already do just dabble on it for the sake of finding indie games that I want to have a play around with or you know there's a couple of old Microsoft games I like to jump back to like the Fable uh, even like the Elder Scroll games I, I am jumping onto Game Pass already just to go you know I feel like buggering around in Oblivion for, for 20 minutes yeah yeah I get that completely so you know I, I think this this obviously benefits them in a lot of ways uh, you know, clearly, uh, Phil Spencer kind of mentioned <laughs> that, uh, you know, there, there would be a, there would be a continued support of other platforms. And I, I don't think that that's outlandish to say it in regards to what Nintendo and also in regards to Sony, you know, Sony obviously will get these, these big name, uh, releases that a lot of people were complaining about. Um, but yeah, uh, to, to Jeremy's point, I do see them, you know, definitely trying to take advantage of having exclusivity, uh, or exclusive access to these, uh, IP in the future. Um, but that's, I guess that's maybe the biggest thing that happened this week. But the other big thing that happened this week is that we played some new games, Right. Uh, and I think it only makes sense that Nick, you kind of start us off with some of the stuff that you've been playing and maybe we can get your comments on some stuff, uh, as well. Definitely. So I really, for the last couple of weeks have sort of been heavily playing the great Ace Attorney Chronicles, um, which I'd sort of alluded to in the last episode. Um, I figured I'd talk about it now. I'm pretty much so it's, it's a combination of two games great ace attorney chronicles one great ace attorney chronicles two and is of course the sequel to the ace attorney games um if anyone hasn't played them they're a lawyer game essentially you investigate you uh you know un- uncover a crime and then you go about a court case where you have to present the evidence and and read through the story so i think evan you 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 know spoke the other week it's it's almost visual novel-esque but it's you know in the guise of an adventure game um, yeah 90% of the game is just sitting there reading text. Um, but it, it's it's the clever writing, it's the world building, it's the mechanics. And so this one, if you haven't seen it, is based in about the 1880s um, as Japan and England are opening relations. You're a young Japanese um, student who goes over to England um, um, to, to study and, and be, be a lawyer, effectively. There's a few other things going on, but we won't go into that. Um, and, and yeah, and it's just, it's fascinating to see, you know, you're, you're going through the court cases, the, the discovery periods, but there's just little things that are quite amusing in this because of the time frame. Like at, at some point someone presents a photo as evidence in a court case and the Japanese lawyer is like, what the heck is that? You know, it's, 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 it's just quaint. Um, and it's nice. And the, and the technology, if it, if you've played any of the probably, more the later Ace Attorney games, they start to introduce a lot more technology like fingerprint scanners, that kind of stuff to help uncover clues. Obviously, it's based in the 1880s. There's none of that. Um, but you do have sort of some some quirky technology that was popular in the 1880s. 
Um, for instance, one of the mechanics they use is a, a stereoscope, which is effectively looking at two photos side by side that are from, taken from slightly apart and, you know, crossing your eyes to get that 3D image, sort of like your magic eye um, puzzles. So it's interesting, they're sort of relying on the technology of the world of the time um, to introduce new findings into the court case. I, I am finding it a lot less obtuse than the original games. Like, it's a lot more... I mean, it's, it's not as hidden, and I think the original ones were, like, early 2000s on the GBA. Um, I did struggle with them a bit. I found sometimes they were just quite cryptic in what they wanted you to do. Um, whereas I found with this one, there's probably only been half a dozen times where I'm really bashing my head and going, I can't work out how to connect the dots um, in a certain court case. Um, but I'm almost at the end of game one now, and it's also starting to tie together, which is interesting, about 40 hours in. Um, but I figured once I've done that, I'll probably park it. I might just take a slower pace with Ace Attorney 2 over the next couple of months. But have either of you dabbled in the Ace Attorney games much? Jeremy? <laughs> uh, I have not, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would very much say the same thing. I have uh, very little interest in adventure-style games. Um, I, I often find them to be a little bit condescending in how they expect you to solve puzzles in the way that a developer uh, intends. Uh, and, you know, there there's certainly... There's, plenty of argument that can be made about uh, whether or not that is the case. Um, but but uh, yeah, you know, very text-heavy games. I mean, what I will say is I've always heard that the writing for the Ace Attorney series has been strong. Uh, in fact, its strongest point. Uh, so, you know, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the characters presented um and the the sorts of narratives unfolding uh beyond just you know world building and yeah and... no i completely agree with that and like i've tried to dabble in some other visual novels before purely based off of my enjoyment for ace attorney and i find them just shite that you know the writing is just poor whereas these you know they're the these stories that they're presenting to you are quite in-depth and intertwined and what they do really well is actually present, you know, let's say it's, it's the game split up into six different um, cases or six different um, story beats. But what they do really well is intertwine during those little elements that impact future stories. And you've got absolutely no visibility of some of these coming. Um, and, and, and that to me is just the exceptional part. And I think you know, stories one, two, and three were all fairly standalone, but once you get to four, five, and six, and they start bringing up things that had happened in previous cases of like, oh, hang on. Yeah, I, I read that, you know, 20 hours ago, but to me, I should have picked up on that. It's not like, oh, they hit it in and you wouldn't have an absolute clue. Like it was someone's name. And if you're looking at the people you're interacting with now, you'd be going, well, okay, I know who that person is. I know they're related. But you just, you know, you don't stop to think because it's 20 hours down the road. But when they bring it up, you're like, you're having the same reactions as the characters in game, which I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying that. You know, they're having this, hold on, what the heck? And I'm sitting there going, putting my switch down going, geez, uh, like, <laughs> I, I, I did not see that coming. And it really is some, some good writing and, and the way you have to interact with the writing. And Evan, to your point, you know, 
hey, how many ways are there to present the evidence or do that kind of thing? I am finding it a hell of a lot better than the first three games in that I might be thinking about how the evidence should be presented in a slightly different way to what the game is expecting. But I can present my case in you know a, in a more obtuse way and then it might be like, oh, okay, you're presenting that. I'm not sure why that's related. Can you pinpoint exactly in this document what it is? Um, and then I'll go back later and check, oh, was that the right thing to do? I'll, you know, check some online guides and they're like, oh, you could present these three items. These two will just immediately get you to the next phase. This one, you've actually got to present your reasoning because it's a bit more obtuse. You know, maybe you've connected the dots outside of the story that's being told right now in the game. Um, so they do allow for a bit of that, which has been nice. There have been points though, where I'm a bit frustrated that, ah, uh, I'm sure this is what's happened in the case, but there's no way for me to present that evidence. Um, thankfully as a quasi, you know, pretend lawyer, I was not given the opportunity to present that as the, uh, because it was wrong. Um, but they, they, <laughs> you know, and, and they do well in, they're not going, uh, so they do very well in that all the clues are there, you know, they're not just introducing things and going, oh, you know, there's a bit of, ah, oh, we've got this in evidence. You didn't know about this. And it's like, okay, well, that's what happens in court. But then there's also things that were just you know a diagram on the wall somewhere that like i said if you hadn't noticed it before you might not connect that dots until the characters in game do um and there's quite a lot of that going on which has been quite nice hmm. and the, uh, just sorry just very quickly on the quality of life things something i've never seen before because you've got auto text because it's very text heavy you've actually got a, a an option to decide how long to leave between automatically moving to the next text box so, you know, half a second, one second, 1.5, 2, 2.5, 3. So I'm finding if I'm in the middle of doing something like, say, cooking dinner and I've just got my switch there, I'll just whack it up to three seconds and let it autoplay. As opposed to if I'm just sitting here on the couch, half a second, or, you know, even just using the buttons to skip through as quickly as I can. So that's been quite nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a whole lot of adventure game stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's e e exactly what it is <laughs> yeah and you know uh, again I, I get that this uh style this genre of game works for a lot of people um it doesn't do it for me yeah uh, but i'm i'm really glad to hear that that it is engaging that uh that the time period does add something to this you know when when i first heard heard this series announced way back on the 3ds i was a little uh baffled especially uh the inclusion of a certain herlock shloms yes uh, One wonderful well, character <laughs> yeah uh but yeah and and just to hear that it that it, it comes across well and that there's also a sense of uh, these two games really working best uh, together in in tandem with one another. That this presentation and and having this bundle um, really does allow the entire story to be told uh, in in a very concise manner, uh, where you're not kind of missing out on on certain uh, yeah, parts of the and, narrative. And there's there's quite a bit of extras in there too, which is nice. Like you've actually got some in-game cutscenes that. I don't know if they were in the original, but, you know, are a sort of a side menu where you can go in and sort of find out more what characters were doing sort of after the case that night. You know, what were they doing when they were sitting at home and just having a conversation and reflecting on the night? Um, and those aren't short, you know, 20 second conversations. There's another 
five minutes of just conversation pretty much for, I think there's like 20 or 30 of them or more that you can just go in and, and just get more of the story should you want it. That's not impactful to the cases, but it's just there, which is really nice. Very cool. I guess, do do you want to talk about uh, anything else that you've been playing? Yes, I, I we may as well, because I'm going to have to pop off in probably 10, 10 or so minutes. Um, but I decided, you know, in, in honor of Jeremy being, being the great man he is to play myself a Chemco game. Um, now I thought if I'm going to play this Chemco game, I need to finish this Chemco game. So of course I started going on howlongtobeat.com and you can't search by publisher. So that's a problem. (laughs) So I have now started to search around and go, well, what are the shortest Chemco games? And actually found out that Chemco almost have a, I, I won't call it a, a catalog of, but they've got a selection of small bite-sized JRPGs um, that are all about two to three hours. I'm not sure how many there are, Jeremy. I sort of stumbled across two or three. Um, but I played... I'm a, of two. Yeah, I played Archlion Saga, um, which, yeah, I Excellent. I really enjoyed myself. Um, it, it, it's, it's a great exactly little game. What I needed little mini RPG. After coming from the tech-based, heavy nature of Great Ace Attorney, I just needed it a night off. And I thought, I, I want to find something two, three hours, sink my teeth into. And I found Archlion Saga. And if you're just looking for a small little JRPG, um, I think it was on sale. So I got it for like four or five dollars Australian, which is two or, you know, two or three American. Um, effectively, it's, you know, fairly standard. You're a, you're a little adventurer man and you've got to go and beat the big bad boss. You know, you're supposedly the hero of the world. Along the way, you discover that the hero of the world is actually made up of more people. So, you know, each chapter is you finding these additional people that you need to take with you to the to fight the bad serpent man at the end of the day. That's all fairly standard. But what I really enjoyed about it was a little mechanic they've introduced. And I'm not sure, Jeremy, if they've used this in any of the other games, the, the star mechanic. So as you go through the world, you're collecting these little stars. Essentially, you know, you find a little item on the floor, you collect a star. Or you sit the game idling for a while, you might collect a star. The stars are basically a form of currency that you can then spend on things like opening chests, opening doors in the world to, you know, progress the story, or even doubling the experience points you get in a battle. And, you know, I think at most I ever had was maybe eight or nine of these stars. So they're not, they're not an item that you've just got willy-nilly, you know, you're not doubling the EXP on every battle. You're sort of sparingly choosing to go, well, hang on, that was a fairly big fight. You know, I had a lot of enemies there i'm going to double that xp um which is just i think just a nice little mechanic of something you're collecting in the overworld that you can either use to a progress the story get more items or b actually level yourself up a bit you know you can you can help yourself out where you want which i thought was quite nice so i do remember reading uh a review of this game in particular because i do explicitly remember reference to this uh, sort of meta currency uh, element of this game and i do think that's a novel way to make a already consumable sort of experience even more so uh this i mean there are worse chemco games that unfortunately i have played uh that i i think truly they don't even reach the 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 sort of like echelon of like being junk food rpg um where like yeah, it's easily consumable, but it at least tastes good. 
but this, I think, is a great sort of uh, example of that, right? Where they really just try to make this as straightforward uh, or as comprehensive an RPG experience as you can possibly get. But they they add all of these quality of life features to make it as unintrusive to your normal play schedule as it possibly can be. 100%. And it really reminds me of about, I want to say the year is 2004. Um, you know, the the Z1010 uh, flip phone was out and available and you could just purchase small little bite-sized JRPGs on your flip phone. Um, you know, they weren't big. They, they weren't massive. They were just small one, two-hour stories. Um, always made by a one or two person development team. And I remember, you know, I'd spend a couple of dollars here and there. And it just reminded me of that, you know, simple story, um, simple mechanics, but just always a little something there that was interesting because whomever the developer was, you know, had an idea and they really just wanted to get that out and share that with yeah, the world. Yeah, uh, I'm reminded very much of, I, I picked up on the DSiWare uh, shop Zenonia. Uh, which may or may not ring some bells to anybody who owns either a 3DS or uh, who shopped on the DSiWare uh, shop. But yeah, very much similar uh, in nature, these bite-sized uh, attempts at recapturing the, the RPG feel. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, does it make you hungry for more? That's That's my real question. Uh, and this is, I was having a quick chat with Jeremy before we started, you know, I, Jeremy put out an article with a few others about the, the top 10, um, Chemco RPGs on the switch on switchrpg.com. And I, that, that's originally where I started. You know, I looked through those, I looked on the eShop and I sort of watched the trailers and the art style in 80% of them just really put me off. Um, this one did not put me off. And I think it was, maybe it's the more colorful graphics. The others seem to have more of a Oh, I don't know how to call it, a washed out art style almost. Um, but there's there's something there. Yeah, the the engine that EXE creates uses, um, it's kind of, they're just their rote engine that they use over and over again. It's it's ugly as sin. Um, but they can manage to get some decent gameplay out of it um, on the games that they're actually successful with. Um, but... Yeah, Archline Saga and its sister game, Everdark Tower, which is the other one that's um, also extremely short. Uh, those are both made by Hitpoint Co. Which, so just correct me if I'm now, is it EXE Create? You always say the good ones? Uh, EXE Create is the the ones that turn them out like candy, and they could be really. Yes. They can make really good ones, and they also make really terrible, awful ones okay. that you never want to go near. Um, Hitpoint Co. is more consistent. Um, they're behind Monochrome Order, uh, Archline Saga, uh, Monster Viator, uh, a couple of other ones. Um, those ones, they're usually prettier. <laughs> yeah. Higher production no, value. But, you know, for, for a, a first a first dabbling, um, I enjoyed myself. I, I definitely might check out the other one, the uh, short bite-sized one, because I think it was just what I needed. Um, you know, just a, a change of pace. For, for a couple of hours, which was quite nice. That is if I ever finish setting up Hands of Fate, the board game. <laughs> okay, well... I'll go ahead and go next, since uh, I am also playing a Kenko game. I am playing RP Golf Legends, uh, which actually just came out, I believe, yesterday of as of this recording, but I've actually had it a little bit longer than that because I'm playing it for review, so I got it a little bit early. Um, 
So this is a golf RPG uh, being published by Kemco. It's not one of their usual partners. Um, it's probably just Kemco's handling the console release of this originally PC game. Likely one of those scenarios. Uh, I'm about a little p- over halfway through the game. I should finish it up in the next week or so. Um, doesn't feel like it's going to be too terribly long. As with many golf games that you find, <laughs> particularly golf RPGs, very simple golf mechanics, um, timed button presses to have the power of your golf shots as well as for your accuracy. Um, it's a little bit more shallow than what you get out of, say, Golf Story or Mario Golf or a few others. Um, little things like uh, you don't have as much control over poking and slicing the ball or lobbing, hitting lob shots. Uh, what also happens is uh, you don't have any kind of terrain differences when you once you get on the green. So normally when you're playing a golf game, when it comes to putting, you have to look at, you know, okay, is this tilted ground? Do you have to hit it harder, softer, to the left, to the right? None of that. It just flows in a straight line. So it's a little yeah. bit shallower on the golf side. Uh, the RPG side, it's also pretty shallow. Um, it's definitely taking inspiration from uh, action-adventure RPGs like... Secret of Mana or Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, where you're just kind of running around an overworld and whacking enemies, but you really just, you walk up, you whack them with your golf club um, what feels like a hundred times and then you move on. The uh, (laughs) difficulty level, there's two difficulty levels, normal and easy, or I think they call it normal and assisted. Uh, And the normal difficulty level for the golf is just fine, uh, but the normal difficulty level for the RPG elements where you're actually fighting monsters is way overtuned and only from an HP sponge perspective. Like the enemies take so many hits to die, it just gets annoying. Um, thankfully, they let you change those settings individually. Your golf difficulty and your RPG difficulty are different settings. So I went and just clicked down my RPG difficulty because it's not actually any harder. It just takes longer. So that has smoothed over the experience a little bit. Uh, but it really just doesn't – it doesn't hit the highs I want on either side of the fence. So, like, I'm enjoying it, but it's not – you know, I'm not falling in love with it the way I did with Golf Story. Well, uh, I'm sorry to hear that, especially, you know, if you're going to market anything with a with a golf bent to it, right, you would expect to to have some, some golf nuance uh, in there. So the <laughs> the sort of lacking terrain stuff, that that is a bit of a, a bummer. But – yeah. You know, it's just on the green. Like there is the roughs and the bunkers and all that normal stuff you'd expect in a golf game. But once you're on the green, it's just fire straight shot at the hole. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that putting is a uh, is an art form all in itself, right? So <laughs> it's true. You know, I, I mean, as as long as it does have those accessibility uh, options. I mean, do you find the uh, again, because I remember when we first kind of talked about the the trailer for this game, do you find the absurdity of this game to be, you know, winning you over in any way, shape, or form? Uh, so the story is extremely light, but it is charming. Um, there's lots of fourth wall breaking references. The protagonist of the game is very much that person who, like, they woke up and they wanted to play golf, and all of the golf courses in the world have been closed off by some magical barrier. Um, and then they find their mystical spirit of a golf club companion who helps them unlock it, and they really want them to go out and save the world. And every town you go to, everyone's praising you as a hero, and the protagonist's just like, I just wanted to play a game of golf, guys. I'm not that big a deal. 
<laughs> and it is funny. <clears throat> yeah, I mean that uh, that sounds charming, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean I, I I love a good game that doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, aside from RP Golf Legends, have you ha- have you anything else that you wanted to touch upon really quickly? Uh, nothing hugely new. I've been, RP Golf Legends has been taking up most of my time. Uh, when I've been able to squeak in my gaming time, just because I ha- I am playing it for review, so I need to get it done. Right. Uh, still playing Yoshi Story with the boys, although we're best just about done. We've we've they've now seen every level and every page, so I feel like we're gonna move on probably to Mario sixty four next. Um, the only other thing that's been taking up any of my time is I've gotten back into Hearthstone um, on mobile, and really just playing Battlegrounds because I don't have the patience to play enough to get good cards to play the normal mode <laughs> or you know wanting to pay them extra money yeah that's <laughs> that's the only thing that i find daunting uh, about any of those sorts of uh, card battler platforms um mm-hmm. you know again you're talking to a huge magic the gathering fan uh here and i mean i i don't have the the patience to have that sort of slow unlock or 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 anything of that manner so i can definitely uh sympathize um how how long have you been playing hearthstone uh off and on since it first came out but i always when i'm playing the regular mode i always hit the wall of like well if i want to do any better than i am right now i need to give them money yeah (laughs) and i just never do since Battlegrounds has come out, I've played more consistently. I'll I'll play for a couple of weeks, and then I'll be off for a couple of weeks, and I'll play for a couple of weeks. It's just something that happens in the background when I'm in the mood. And then because Battlegrounds is basically a giant slot machine, um, you get hooked on it <laughs> for a little while. Sure. <clears throat> but it is an enjoyable game mode that I I uh, have gotten decent at. I will not say I'm good at it, but I will say I'm decent at it. I sit, I don't know, I think I'm in like the 6,000 rank somewhere right now which is a certain percentile above 50 so i'll take it <laughs> well, that that is good uh, again you're speaking to somebody who has no concept of any of these numbers but ab- above 50 percent that's uh that's good yeah um well, the top half i'll take it nice very nice yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to just seeing uh whatever you move on to next uh, after after uh, this game and uh, you know I am just kind of curious have you uh, ever experimented with other uh, deck builder uh, and you know obviously there's a whole bunch of deck building rogue uh, likes out there but uh, anything other than Hearthstone? Uh, I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links when it first came out Um, I I played for about a month after it came out and then it lost my interest and haven't revisited it I do want to say too, right? Uh, I believe just this week a Yu-Gi-Oh platform just dropped. I think on Switch and maybe other consoles too. Uh, have you ever had any interest in in that franchise? Uh, not much. Duel Links was actually the first time I had ever played any Yu-Gi-Oh anything. Um, so it was interesting to like finally learn the actual rules behind the cartoon that I watched when I was an adolescent. <laughs> 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 okay. Um I, I at least I thought that this new platform was Hearthstoney in design, but uh I would have to double check. I believe it's called Dual Masters or or something like that. Isn't that the No, that's actually not the title of uh of the game itself. Um this is actually going to drive me crazy, so I'm going to look it up. Uh Master Duel? Yeah, uh Master Duel. 
You, you, you are correct. You know, I've, I've heard some people who are Yu-Gi-Oh fans talking about it on social media. Uh, I, I, I don't really have much of an interest in, in that series in, in any way. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how, uh, you know, traditional card or, or deck building mechanics appear uh, in that game. And I'm not really all that keen on, on learning uh, a new rule set so it's not something that i'm ever hoping to to jump into myself but uh i mean did you find what when you learned the the actual rules of the game did you find it to be pretty accessible compelling yeah it seems like like i understood why people liked it when it originally came out why it was a competitor with magic and pokemon and all of that um i was always a tried and true magic the gathering fan back in the day but never went He's never got too exploratory outside of, I think, the only ones I have physical cards of still. I have my Magic the Gathering cards tucked away in a box somewhere. But I also, for a season, played the Dragon Ball Z card, TTCG or whatever. Oh, my gosh. That came out. Um, <laughs> I did not know that existed. <laughs> oh, it was so great. Um, I mean, there have been several over the years. Oh, sure. um, yeah. yeah, the original one, I mean, they had Anime Hem for... Like, if you go way back, um, that had a bunch of different anime characters in it. And there was a whole Dragon Ball series of cards that came out for that. But then there was the dedicated Dragon Ball one, Dragon Ball Z one, that was out for several years. And I think that one has since been replaced. Hmm. Possibly even twice. I lost track of it after a while. Um, But the big problem that one had is that as they released new sets, they'd released new editions of characters. And they were always more powerful because they were trying to mimic the show as the characters get more powerful over time. So if you didn't, I guess that was their way of saying, oh, you got to keep buying them. Otherwise, your old character is just completely obsolete. So like a Saiyan Saga Goku versus a Cell Saga Goku was just going to get completely blown out of the water. Yeah, and I feel like that's the the eternal struggle with a series like that, um, which yeah. which is unfortunate. But uh, I mean, you know, power creep in any sort of uh, competitive uh, meta too is is always uh, something to to be considered. But that's like that's like power creep just in well, that's power creep personified as a game mechanic. So yeah. I, I I can't imagine that being all that enjoyable. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always curious about uh, deck builders and, and such. And, um, you know, one of one of my favorite tabletop games to play is Dominion. Have you ever played? I have. I played a lot of Dominion in college with one of my roommates. Uh, I see. You truly are a man of culture, um, like myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was uh, I was a big fan of that. So I, I love I love anything where you can kind of deck build on the fly, uh, too. But yeah. I, I I saw actually just recently uh, a new deck building roguelike uh, is going to be coming to the Switch, and I I watched the trailer and it's like pretty much I'm pretty sure it's like just Sengoku uh, slay the spire, and <laughs> I'm wondering how much further we can push this uh, this this deck building uh, sort of craze or or what have you. Um, in the realm of video games, uh, there there was one game that came that had a Kickstarter uh, just this past year, uh, in in twenty twenty one, I should say, uh, that that really did seem to be kind of pushing uh, a lot of concepts forward, but it never came to light. Um, and I'm blanking on the name right now, so I'm not going to get into it all that much more. Uh, but what we could get into is what 
you've been playing. <laughs> Great segue. Yeah, because uh, I could keep just rambling on about deck building stuff uh, forever. But uh, the game that I wanted to focus on uh, this evening, uh, this episode, is a game that I have been sinking a whole lot of time into. My partner and I uh, have sort of... <laughs> I, I don't want to say fallen in love because I have very mixed feelings about this game, <laughs> but we <laughs> we've we've fallen into it, and that is Nino Kuni Two Revenant Kingdom. So we're playing this on the Switch uh, because it came out late uh, last year, and as a big fan of the original Nino Kuni, uh, I I felt obligated uh, to to try to delve back into this world, even though I recall this game getting. I don't know, I would say like mid to high 80s on release when it came out a couple of years ago um, on other platforms. And I don't know if I would give this a mid to high uh, 80s. Uh, I think that's probably the most generous uh, grade I would give it, but just wanted to uh, to toss it over in, in, into uh, your side of the court. Uh, what's, your, what's your familiarity with Nino Kuni? Or, or its sequel. I have, I have the original Nino Kuni on uh, my Switch. I've put uh, twenty to thirty hours into it. I think before I kind of fell off. I'm not a huge fan of like real time with pause combat, um, but like the game is charming, and you know I'm always down for a monster collector game. So I put quite a bit of time into it, and then honestly, the thing that really got me on it was the grind. Um, oh, yeah. Particularly when you evolve your creatures, they go back to level one, and that's <laughs> not like Dragon Quest reset, where you go back to level one and you keep your stats. It's just straight up, you're back to level one. Go grind up this upgraded character before you actually get to use them. Um, so that just kind of, I just lost my momentum with that, and just never looked back around on it. Um, I, I My understanding is that Nino Kuni has slightly, or majorly, you can clarify, different systems at play. Oh, yeah. Um, oh yes, uh, and and I will say, the original Nino Kuni to me, uh, you know, obviously it does have some monster catching uh, f- feeling to it, um, but the original so much to me feels like a Studio Ghibli Dragon Quest hybrid, um, and you know, specifically going back to the grind. Uh, yeah, it's it's a less forgiving version of the Dragon Quest grind, which is is truly um, a sight to behold. But even just the the narrative beats too unfold in a very similar way. You know, it's very episodic um, in in how you travel from town to town and kind of figure out uh, quests and learn more about the world around you. And uh, Nino Kuni Two is very much the same, very episodic in its own right, but. In regards to systems and combat, uh, this is an action RPG. So I love uh, I love that you really did sum up what would have taken me at least five to ten minutes to explain uh, for Nino Kuni the original as real time with pause because that really is what it is. Um, you know, there's some timing based stuff there which is can be very irksome, especially when you're trying to like perfect counter or. Uh, uh, you know, just kind of get out of the way of, of certain enemy attacks. Um, but yeah, real time with pause is the way that I would describe that. And 
Uh, Revenant Kingdom kind of ditches that completely for very much a light attack, heavy attack, uh, skill wheel uh, sort of uh, system. So your three characters uh, who are on the field, uh, you can swap between them uh, at any point uh, if, if you should want to use their specific abilities. But uh, they have your light and your heavy attacks, and those can kind of fill up your magic meter, uh, which you use for your skills. And, you, of course, you've got a dodge roll, too. And the one thing that I will say about the action combat in... Uh, Revenant Kingdom is that it really very much is reactive in nature. I mean, if you try to go in and just uh, spin to win or uh, slash, hack and slash um, all over the place, uh, you're probably going to find yourself getting punished pretty hard. Uh, and that is, it It it, it does take a a degree of just watching your enemies and watching what patterns they're going to perform before you try to, you know, get your own licks in. I will say healing is pretty generous. I mean, I'm playing on hard mode right now, which, uh, uh, again, I don't know why I do this to myself, but um, the, you know, the the hits that you take are, are pretty, pretty rough. And there's a couple of like side quest boss battles that have really, it's like, you know, if if I don't pull off something correctly, I I've wasted a good uh, two to three minutes on fighting a boss. Um, but the the weird thing about this sort of reactive combat system is that a lot a lot of the battles, the skirmishes that you take part in, have a lot of enemies in them. And of course, when you're dealing with a lot of enemies uh, in a game that does look as good as Nino Kuni does, and I'm talking about the original i'm also talking about revenant kingdom has very much the same sort of aesthetic uh, quality to it um but when you're dealing with a lot of enemies on the screen you get a lot of slowdown so that is an unfortunate um sort of hit that this switch version uh does take but also when you have a lot of enemies on the screen it becomes hard to react or read what your enemies are doing and so sometimes it does feel kind of unfair in how you get swarmed by the amount of enemies and how a lot of their like combat animations once they are executing them there is no way to uh to stop them or stun them you really just got to make sure that you get out of the way the assist system you know, I loved the monsters uh, in the original game. I thought they were hugely charming. Uh, they've been replaced by these things called Higgledies, and uh, an adorable name, and they are adorable creatures. They re- remind me very much of these uh, forest spirits from Princess Mononoke. They p- have, like, sort of passive buffs and attacks that they'll throw out at enemies in battle, and then they have some special skills that you can kind of uh, run over and uh, when they when they trigger a summoning circle you can execute them but uh it's it's nothing all that special i it's the most consistent way of getting heals in the game which is why you you really want to take advantage of them as much as possible but uh again battles don't last very long uh in this game either so uh you can either heal in combat or outside of combat uh, just by pulling up a menu so it kind of makes their abilities sometimes feel a little bit superfluous although some of them do have like status uh and element of uh immunity skills which is a pretty neat thing but they're few and far between um the the other things that i would say is 
I don't really like the story of this game very much. I think it it suffers uh, from being a sequel and kind of like trying to live up to the original's uh, sort of scope and scale. But the episodic nature of some of the chapters really doesn't like allow you to fall in love with any of the places you visit or kind of get a grip for what's going on uh, in some of these places. And um, then there's also a kingdom building mechanic. And I could like I could talk for like, a, again, another five to ten minutes about this. I don't really feel like doing that. Um, oh, I will. Yeah, you've you've sold me on not playing this game. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, yeah, and I don't think that the the kingdom building mechanic um, will will sway you in the other direction. Uh, all I will say is that there's a lot of side quests that you can get, um, where the result is that you you bring that side quest character to your kingdom to benefit you in some way. But uh, the the process of unlocking things and really benefiting from the systems that the the kingdom does allow you to play with doesn't happen until like maybe 30 to 40 hours into your playtime. And so it does really feel like you're grinding away at something that <laughs> the the end is is very far o- away and there, there, it almost feels like there's no end in sight. So with all that being said, not bad. Uh, it's, uh, I'd say I, I would, I would not give it that mid to high eighties. I'd give it a low, eighties uh, to high seventies sort of score. But then again, at the same time, number scores are kind of BS. So, uh, I, I would say it's good. Not great. Good. Not great. Yeah. And just to quickly touch upon maybe, uh, one or two other games that I've been playing, uh, are you, Aware of, familiar with Luminous in uh, in in any way? I am aware of Luminous. Um, have not had the pleasure of playing it. I do love puzzle games, so it's just one I haven't gotten around to. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I would say again, I've played a little bit of uh, Poyo Poyo Tetris, um, and I mean, I've played a little bit of Poyo Poyo, and Poyo Poyo frustrates me a little bit. It's uh, I, I just I don't get that language of of puzzle making but i do love tetris a whole lot and the reason i picked up luminous was because i played uh, tetris effect connected and i know that the that at least some of the team that worked on that game also worked on luminous and i've heard just really great things about luminous so i figured i'd give it a try and i gotta say like the first maybe two three hours of this game i was like kind of on the fence feeling like uh, did I waste my money on this but now I am 100% just obsessed with luminous I love it so much um it's a great tetris like um that does its own neat sort of stuff with music so yeah uh if you're on the fence about it um or if you ever see it on sale uh, I would highly recommend luminous uh, it's been soaking up a, a good deal of my sort of like de-stressing time. Um, and the last game that I would mention, uh, and I, I wish I, that Nick was around to, to hear me talk about eternal radiance. Uh, this is a game that I have also been reviewing for switch RPG. I guess this is the, uh, this is the switch RPG uh, previews hour, right? But it seems like it. eternal radiance is a action RPG mixed with a, <laughs> 
visual novel. Uh, and obviously, I, I have some affinity for action RPGs, and I have no affinity for uh, visual novels. So this is a very back-and-forth sort of experience, but uh, I'm actually finding myself not hating the visual novel stuff. So I, I won't kind of give away my final thoughts about this. So you'll probably hear about that next week or the next time we, that we get together. But uh, I am chipping away at this, and it's not bad. But uh, I would say that it lacks polish that maybe a lot of people would look for in an action RPG if they were looking to play one. Do you take a look at Eternal Radiance at all, Jeremy? Did it interest you? So I, yeah, I share your your reluctance to get into visual novels. Um, I'm looking at the trailer for this right now. I mean, the action portions do look, I mean, visually crisp. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the way I'd put it. I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, like like it's it's it looks to be pretty bare, but like what is there seems like they put a decent amount of polish on it. Yeah, and the the only thing that I would say about the, you know, it's it's funny that I'm playing Nino Kuni, uh, a high or a, a bigger budget, a higher quality sort of action RPG in comparison with this, because the recoil that you get and the the quality of animations that you get in a game like Nino Kuni is just it's not here with um, with Eternal Radiance. <laughs> there's just, there's no, you know, you fire off spells, but enemies like barely get knocked back and i don't even want to say like knockback is a yeah is, is a mechanic but there's no reaction there's no weight to uh to what's going on um and so you know it's twitchy it's arcadey but um it might be lacking for someone who who's looking for the i guess tension that comes with committal uh attack animations which which yeah. you know, is uh is is what i would point out um, as a sticking point, but yeah. So uh, if if you're not too keen on the action uh, side of this, I I highly doubt the the visual novel side will will convince you to uh, to pick it up in in any way. Uh, no, that's all. That's all that we uh, had had planned uh, to talk about. So I guess we can we can just head right into our plugs. Uh, you know, first off. Uh, we are we're everywhere. We're all over the place. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Google. And then there's some other stuff too that we're that we're also on. But if you ever uh, find yourself enjoying the podcast at all, and you want to write in, uh, just let us know how we're doing, or whether or not you disagree with one of our takes on a particular game. You can shoot us a tweet at RPG Podcast on Twitter, uh, or you can. Uh, send us an email at rpgpodquest at gmail.com. Uh, Jeremy, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me all over social media at rpg underscore writer. Um, I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram, TikTok, Wattpad. Uh, often what I will post uh, will be either RPG-related or uh, writing-related, because I do some creative writing. Like I mentioned, I do some writing on Wattpad, although that has been slow with the holidays. and have not picked up as much as I wanted to uh, in the last week. Um, but there's always tomorrow. Sure. 
you know, I, I do know that you are on Instagram, and I will say that uh, the RPG PodQuest will be on Instagram as well. Uh, you'll probably be seeing some clips from games, uh, some screenshots, uh, and uh, obviously we'll be updating whenever an episode releases on uh, Instagram too. Uh, so you can uh, probably, you know, find us. Well, probably you'll definitely be able to find us uh, on Instagram at uh, the RPG PodQuest. Um, and you can find me, uh, Evan, at RPGSEB on Twitter. Uh, and Nick, if he were here, he would probably say that you could find him at uh, RPG Nick, and that's Nick with two eyes on Twitter. Uh, I do know that he has been playing uh, Wordle pretty consistently. Always good to see. Jeremy, you've been playing Wordle too? I have been playing Wordle. I don't post my scores every day because I don't want to add to the madness. <laughs> but I do. I also, I don't play on the same device every day, so there's nothing keeping track of any kind of streak ah, right. other than my own memory. I have not missed a day. Uh, well, I, I have missed days, but I have not, I have not, not solved a puzzle that I have started so far. Oh, that's good. Uh, I've only missed one out of all of the puzzles that I've completed, uh, and I will forever be ashamed of, uh, of, of not getting that one. Although I believe the word was truss, T-R-U-S-S, and I... That's a tricky one. It was, uh, definitely. Um, you know, double letters can, can always be really tricky, um, on Wordle. Yeah. Uh, today, today almost got me. I had guess three, four, and five. I had four out of five words in the right position. And it just kept telling me I was wrong. Yeah. I know. I mean, Ow! sometimes, sometimes, man, this game <clears throat> makes me feel stupid. Um, I know one uh, other day there was robot and, I think it took me to like guess five to figure that out. And uh, looking back, I was like, why, why wouldn't, you know, sometimes you think it's going to be so much more of a difficult word than it actually is. In any case, Wordle, it's fun, but I definitely get your, uh, your, your feeling about posting on uh, social media. Apparently people just don't like to see other people have fun, you know? Um, not. I mean, I would say I, I fall into that camp sometimes myself. You know, especially when Kemco is uh, is a topic. I don't I don't like to see people have fun with those games. Jeremy, uh, it's always a pleasure uh, to to speak with you, and of course, I'm looking forward to seeing what you bring with your next quest, with what you've got uh, on the docket. But for now, uh, we are going to head off on our next quests. So, to all of you listening, if you still are, you guys have a lovely week, and we will be coming at you in the near future. Bye-bye.